Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, make sure you go ahead and turn them on. Turn them to Romans chapter 16. Again, if you're a newcomer with us, we have been in this series since August. We're just about done. We're on the last uh, last chapter of the book of Romans. What we said last week is the meat of the text is, ends at 15, and then we have this bit of a postscript at the end, and we're going to dive into today. And I am so grateful for Corey, who actually read our text out loud. I did not want to try to do that, reading those names with you. I heard it took Corey three and a half hours to film that, so good on you, Corey. <laughs> Appreciate you for that. Now, My guess is that when you get to one of these texts, you're like me, and you just kind of skim through these sections of scriptures where you have a bunch of names, and you just kind of blow past it when you're doing your Bible memory or Bible, I'm sorry, Bible reading plan. You just skim right past, say that I've done it, and I totally get that. But my hope is after today that you're going to understand how much these people have to teach us about what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Now, we're going to look at these Verses, just like we have all of Romans, we're going to go line by line through it. But before we do, I just want to, I want us to think about this as a group for just a second. We, a couple of things in context here. We got to remember the Apostle Paul never went, has not been to the church in Rome. Like he's never attended this church, never been there, which, which is amazing because he still lists 26 people in this letter. Paul's writing this from the city of Corinth in what we would call Greece, and he's never made it to Rome. So how does he have connections with 26 people? And the answer is pretty simple, actually, because he's been doing ministry for the last 10 years. And one of the great things about doing ministry is you get connected to people all over. Like, he, he's been doing ministry with these people. They have served alongside of each other for a decade. And he knows these people. He knows them very well. He has specifics about all of them. And I've been in ministry for a minute now. So I get it. I get it. I know people in churches all over the country. I know them. I know many of them well. Some of them I went to college with. Some of them I've served with. Some of them I was on a board with. Or we went on a mission trip together. Or I met them at a conference or a seminar. Or we've been to uh, different uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Cohorts together. Like I know lots of people in lots of churches and have done ministry with them over the years. And many of you have that same story. Like there are people I served on three different church staffs and I served with them at one church and they went to a different church and I went to a different church. We have connections now with three different churches. And it is a beautiful thing about being a part of the body of Christ is that I have brothers and sisters I have people I've served with all across the United States, some around the world. And it's an amazingly beautiful thing. And I love them and they love me. I know them and they know me and it's such a gift. Now, so Paul's writing to those people, those people he's doing this ministry with. There's a couple of observations I want us to make as we think about this group as a whole. First one is he's writing to real people. Again, these are real people in a real place, at a real time. Our sacred scriptures didn't fall down out of heaven. They weren't found in some mystical forest. These are real people that Paul really knows. Our scriptures were inspired by real people in real places, in in specific historical contexts. They're real. And not only are these people real, They were really normal. Like what I mean by that is like they aren't special. It wasn't as if the book of Romans that we have wasn't written to theologians. It wasn't written to Bible scholars. It wasn't written to professors. It was written to normal, everyday, working people. They were really, really normal, just like most of you. Here's what we're going to learn by this list. They, it is a very diverse church. Like this is very, this list is made up of people who come from different continents, different ethnicities, different social economic classes, everything from slaves to royals, from aristocrats to servants. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, there are men, there are women, there are singles, there are married. There are people from Asia and Europe and the Middle East on this list. There, there is hardly anywhere on the planet where you would have this type of diversity that makes up one common group of people. But that's the body of Christ. Let me give you one more. What this list reveals to us is that ministry is a team sport. Like when we think about the spread of the gospel in the first century, it is right and proper to think about Paul and all that he did to share the gospel around the Mediterranean rim. Like it is amazing what Paul did. But what this list is going to show us is that Paul did not do this alone. There are scores, there are untold numbers of men and women who joined in the ministry of Paul and And even though nobody's ever going to name their children after these people, (laughs) nobody's looking forward to meeting them in heaven someday. Like you've got people where you've said, oh, I can't wait to meet Elijah or I can't wait to meet Mary. What was it like to raise Jesus? I can't wait to meet Paul or Peter. Like I can't wait till I get to meet these people. Nobody's ever looking forward to meeting these people. (laughs) Yet... The work of the gospel likely wouldn't have made it out of the first century without them. So, ministry is a team sport. Everybody has a role to play. So, with these kind of big ideas, let's dive into the text. 
and talk about these people individually. Paul begins, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So this section, again, Paul kind of wrapped up the message of Romans in chapter 15. He begins the postscript by commending a woman named Phoebe. And here's a few things he tells us. He says, she's our sister. Now, this is not like biological sister. It's not what he's talking about. But what is a sister? Sister is someone we share the same father. That's what Paul's trying to say. We have brothers and sisters because we all have a common father. That's the point. In in the church context, we are brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. You have brothers and sisters all over the world who are followers of Jesus. You've never met them. You may never meet them on this side of eternity, but they are your brother and sister nonetheless because we share the same father. And, And let me just add this as a, Kind of a side note here. If you are truly serious about following after Jesus, here's what I know. You should have a greater camaraderie and connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ than your own biological brothers and sisters who are not in Christ. Like you should have a greater connection. I should have, I do have a greater connection with a brother and sister in Nigeria who are followers of Jesus than I would someone growing up in my own house who does not follow Jesus. Like this is, this is our family. Now, there's a lot of debate. Paul calls this lady, Phoebe, a deacon. And there's a lot of debate that says, okay, Is she a deacon like the office deacon or just deacon? The word deacon simply means servant. There's a lot of debate whether or not she, which camp does she fit in? And I think she has the official title of deacon for a very specific reason. Because Paul says she's a deacon of the church in Sincrea. Like, He names a very specific church. This was a town that was about six miles away from the city of Corinth. So he's writing from the city of Corinth. This is a town about six miles away. And when Paul says she's a deacon of the church of Sincrea, like he doesn't just say that she's a a servant of Christ or a servant of the church in a general sense. She's a servant at a very specific church. It seemingly is pointing that she executes ministry responsibilities in this church. And Paul's writing this letter to Rome and he says, receive her in a way worthy of his people. Or some of your texts say, worthy of the saints. That's Phoebe. Now the question is, why is Paul commending Phoebe, a deacon in the church of Sincrea, to a church in Rome. Why is he doing that? And the answer is, it is likely Phoebe, who was the one who delivered this letter from Corinth to Rome. 
So think about this. There was no FedEx. There was no U.S. mail. There was no email. For this letter that we've been studying for nearly a year, for this letter to make it from Paul's hand in Corinth to the church in Rome, somebody has to take the letter. And it was Phoebe who took this letter. It was a 750-mile trip. It would take no less than two weeks. And Phoebe was the one who was tasked to do it. As we work through this list, what we're going to see is that women play a huge role in Paul's ministry, all throughout his ministry. There are at least nine women who are named in this section of scripture, nine of them, not counting Phoebe. I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you hear me, ladies. The kingdom of God needs you. Like you have a role to play. You are not a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. You've been given great gifts and abilities and responsibilities and the church of Christ needs you to put them into practice. So Paul says to this church in Rome, hey, receive Phoebe. She's coming on my behalf. She's bringing you this letter. Make sure she has everything that she needs. Now, let's dive in. Here's the list. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. That's so huge. We'll come back to that. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So now Paul is talking to the people in Rome, and he's going to make a list. Greet all of these people who are part of that church in Rome, and he starts with Priscilla and Aquila. And these are the two people on the list that we know the most about, almost know anything about. Why do we know about them? Because Paul tells us about them. Sorry, actually Luke wrote down Paul's first meeting with Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts. So let's jump back to Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So when Paul first went on his missionary journey and ended up in the city of Corinth, one of the people that he met was this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and they were in Corinth, but they were from Rome. But the emperor, Claudius, emperor at the time of the Roman Empire, kicked all the Jewish people out of Rome. He says, you got to go. I can't stand it anymore. You're bickering too much, fighting too much. I ain't having it. Y'all got to go. You ain't got to go home. Can't stay here. So he kicks them out. And they end up going to Corinth. Well, Paul, being a Jewish person, was in Corinth as well, and so they get connected. We're also told that they were tent makers, just like Paul was. And so Paul's like, hey, we might as well do some business together. They're tent makers. So they make tent, and Paul gets to know them, they get to know him, and they spend 18 months doing ministry together in the city of Corinth. After that 18 months, we're told that Paul leaves Corinth and he goes up to Ephesus. Now, what's interesting is we're also told that Priscilla and Aquila decide to go to Ephesus with him. Now, they all go to Ephesus together. 
We're told back in Romans 16 that they risked their lives for Paul. We're not told when or where or how, but I have a hunch that it probably happened in Ephesus. Do you remember what happened when Paul went to Ephesus, you Bible scholars? When Paul goes to Ephesus, a riot breaks out in the city of Ephesus. People started grabbing Paul. They're taking him. They're trying to beat him, trying to kill him. The guards come down and they're starting to drag him off to protect his life. And Priscilla and Aquila are there. And my guess is it was probably in that moment that they're stepping out. They're risking their lives to protect Paul right there in the city of Ephesus. Paul ends up leaving Ephesus. And when he does, he leaves behind Priscilla and Aquila to take care of the church. And what we're told in Romans 16 is that there in Rome, there's a a church that's meeting in their house, in Priscilla and Aquila's house. We also know in Ephesus, they had a church that's meeting in their house. After Paul leaves Ephesus, another evangelist pastor comes in. His name was Apollos, and he's preaching the gospel. And the text says he does a good job preaching the gospel. But there were some things he just didn't have right. And guess what? Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos under their wing and teach him the gospel more fully. I want you to think about that for a second. The tent makers train the pastor on how to preach the gospel. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. And again, don't miss this. These people were not pastors. They were not ministers. They were not missionaries. What were they? They're tent makers. They were business people. That was their job. Yet they leveraged their lives for Jesus. And they were deeply involved in discipling people. Even in our text, we're told they're doing it there. They're hosting a church. They were tent makers. They didn't go to seminary. Yet everywhere they go, they gather people around them and teach them how to follow Jesus. And I just want to say, we need more people like that. We need some of you to see yourselves like that. Like people who understand that you don't have to work for a church to make disciples. Like you can fulfill the mission of Jesus and be a teacher. You can fulfill the mission of Jesus and be a lawyer or a contractor or a painter or a realtor or a security guard, a police officer, a judge, a dental hygienist, a firefighter, a landscaper, whatever it is, you have a business. And I just want you to hear, your business may not be the thing that's standing in the way of your ministry. Your business may be the thing God wants to leverage to expand and fund your ministry. Like, that's what God did through Priscilla and Aquila. Let's get back to our text. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, Epiten, I don't know, I make it up like y'all do. <laughs> Who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia? Think about that for a second. Paul leaves Jerusalem and he goes on his first missionary journey. He goes to the Roman province of Asia. And imagine being the first one where Paul's preaching the gospel and the first person, you're, you're just longing for God to move in this area. And, and somebody finally, and it was Epitemus, Epi, Epi, whatever, he says, I'm in. I'm in. I believe you. And I want to follow after Jesus. Paul remembers that guy's name. And why wouldn't he? Like, it's an amazing an amazing story. Greet Mary, 
who worked very hard for you. It's interesting, this little phrase here about working hard or working very hard, it shows up with four names attached to it. We have it here in verse 6. We also have it down in verse 12. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked hard in the Lord. There's four people who are said to work hard and they're all women. I don't know what the men are doing, but they ain't working hard. The four ladies, there's four ladies here, and all of them are said to work hard or work very hard in the Lord. And again, I just want to make sure there are some people who want to paint Paul as a male chauvinist. Like he doesn't value women. He looks down upon there. It couldn't be further from the truth. If you actually read his writings, he called Priscilla his coworker. Like he puts Priscilla on the same plane, link arms. We did ministry together. She is my coworker. He called Priscilla his coworker. He calls Persis, uh, he called, greet my dear friend, my dear friend Persis. It's, it's his dear friend. He knows her and he loves her. He called Phoebe a benefactor to a lot of people, including me, he said. Like she has been a blessing to me. Like these ladies aren't second class citizens in Paul's ministry. They were an integral part of his team. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. Don't miss that. Who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Andronicus and Junia are another couple, like Priscilla and Aquila. They were Jewish people. Junia is a female name and Paul says, greet them. They were part of his ministry team. They, he knows them. He loves them. And Paul says, listen, they've been in prison with me, which is, which is amazing. We don't know when. We don't know where. That story wasn't written down for us. One of the early church fathers, a guy named Clement of Rome, who would have probably known all these people connected to Romans, he, he said that Paul was in prison seven times. Seven times. Now, we don't have all of them written down, but it shouldn't surprise us that if Paul was in prison seven times, that some of the people who were doing ministry would have also gotten thrown in prison with him. Paul says, this couple was like that. As I was processing, running through my sermon stuff last night, I thought about this poor couple. And I thought, there's a lot of people in prison in the scriptures, and we know their stories, Right? We know about Peter being Peter and John being thrown in jail and beaten. We know about Paul and Silas being in prison and singing out to the Lord at night. We know we know about these stories of when people go to jail and what happens to them. And I was just thinking if I was this poor couple, I'd be like, why didn't nobody write our story down? We went to jail, too. Like, I would want my story told if I got thrown in prison for Jesus. Somebody ought to remember that. But their story doesn't get told. Paul remembers. Paul remembers. And he, he says, greet them. And I want you to know they, they've been right there beside me in jail. And then he adds this. They were in Christ before I was. Like this is, this is amazing. 
Paul likely came to Jesus two to three years after Jesus' crucifixion. These two came to faith earlier than that. We don't know exactly when, but I, I theorize. I wonder, you remember on the day of Pentecost? When we started Romans way back, you remember the day of Pentecost? When we were told that there were Jews from all over the Roman Empire who were there, and Peter stood up and he preached the message of the gospel. And in the list there at the beginning of the book of Acts of all of the people who were there in Pentecost, it said there were visitors from Rome who heard the gospel, Jewish, they came to faith in Jesus, were baptized, and then they went home. And I just wonder, maybe this couple, maybe this couple were, or some of them, they came to faith before Paul did. Verse eight, greet and fit Amphiatus, Amphiatus, my dear friend in the Lord. This is the second time we read that phrase, my dear friend, my dear friend. Some of your Bibles actually put it as my beloved. Again, these are not casual acquaintances. He knows them and he loves them even if we don't know them. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stechus, Again, we find these two names that are not mentioned anywhere else in our New Testament. We know nothing about their ministry, nothing about their influence, yet Paul calls them his co-workers and his friend, his beloved. We know nothing of their work or influence, which is a reminder to me, and I hope it's a reminder for all of us, that some of the greatest ministry that has ever been done or ever will be done will never be known among the masses. And some of them are right here in our midst. Their stories will never be told, but it matters to somebody, just like their ministry mattered to Paul. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Again, we know nothing about this guy except to know that he endured something very difficult. He endured something that made his faith be put to the test. He had to endure something that made him want to quit, but he didn't quit. He persevered. His, his faith was put to the test and he persevered. He didn't walk away. He didn't quit. He kept the faith. And so Paul says to the church publicly in Rome, hey, greet Apelles whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. You guys should look at people like him when you're going through hard times because there's somebody whose faith doesn't break when it's put under pressure. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Now, this is interesting. This, this name is the grandson of Herod the Great. And history tells us that he lived his days out, apparently in Rome, as a private citizen. He was also friends with the emperor Claudius at the time, and likely he had many servants, and collectively his friends, his family, his servants are the ones who made up the household of Aristobulus. Now, they're part of the church in Rome. Again, these are high-level people in the most important city in the world at the time. Then we read and greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. 
There is zero doubt that Herodian was of the household of Herod. He was of the dynasty of Herod. This would have been a person of great wealth and great influence, as is the next person. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Narcissus, again, we know from history, he was a wealthy, powerful freedman who was who had a prominent role in the government of Claudius. Now, when Claudius was no longer the emperor and Nero became emperor, Nero put Narcissus to death because he was so powerful. Now, note, Paul doesn't say, greet Narcissus, greet those of the household of Narcissus. In other words, some of his family, some of his servants, some of his people are in this church. Now, so we go from the powerful, the most significant city officials in the world at the time, then we go to the other end of the spectrum. The next few names are all a list of common slave names, with the first one on the list being the most common slave name. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now, there is an interesting connection to this name Rufus. It does show up one other place in our New Testament. And it shows up in the Gospel of Mark. Now, it's, you need to know that all of the Gospels were written with a different audience in mind. Okay, So the, uh, Matthew was written primarily to Jewish people. There's a lot of OT references to the Gospel of Matthew written to Jewish people. Mark was written primarily to Gentiles in Rome. Luke was written to a person named Theophilus, so he took very historical accounts for a guy named Theophilus. John was written to primarily Christians, so he writes his way later so the church understands who Jesus is. But Mark wrote his primarily to Gentiles in the Roman Empire, I'm sorry, in the city of Rome. To these Gentiles in Rome, Mark adds a detail that none of the other gospel writers add. Related to a guy named Simon. Do you remember Jesus taking his cross to uh, Calvary and he falls down and they jerk somebody out of the crowd who's forced to carry Jesus' cross because he couldn't carry it himself? His name was Simon. All of the gospels tell that story. Only Mark adds this detail. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, here's the detail, the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Think about this, Mark writing primarily to Gentile Christians in Rome, he adds this detail. There was a certain man named, from Cyrene named Simon. It's the father of Alexander and Rufus. He almost expects the people in, who's reading this to know Alexander and Rufus. And I wonder if Rufus is there in Rome in this church and Paul says, give a shout out to Rufus. Imagine the story that Simon would have had to tell his two sons when he came home that day from carrying Jesus' cross. He had two boys, Alexander and Rufus. And Rufus is there in the church in Rome. 
But not just Rufus who came to follow Jesus. Rufus's mother, maybe Simon's wife. Paul says, greet Rufus and his mother, who has also been a mother to me. Like they, they are intimately connected. Again, I would say to you ladies, don't underestimate your ministry. Paul, the great apostle Paul, pointing to Rufus's mom and says, man, say hi to her because she has loved me like I'm her own son. <sighs> Greet <sighs> Asinicris, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and all the other brothers and sisters with them greet Philogus, Julia, nurse, uh, Nurses, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Again, this is just a list of slave names. Very common. With Julia, how many Julias have got in the house? Anybody? Anybody? Julia was the most common of all the slave names for women. So that's who this is. So just again, just imagine this for just a moment. You have this group, this gathered body of Christ in Rome. And they are made up of rich and poor, slave and free. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have men and women, married and single. You have royalty and workers. And they, what do they all have in common? Jesus. They all know and love and follow Jesus. So Paul says, Greet these people, and then he gives this command. Greet one another. Don't just receive a greeting from me. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, why would he say with a holy kiss? I told some of our team that I'm going to make this the application for today. That we're just going to greet each other with a holy kiss, so I need you to stand up and turn to the person behind you. <laughs> Nobody's doing it. I don't Maybe PV is more righteous than you people. I, <laughs> shout out to you. Why would he say that? Why would he, why greet with a holy kiss? Well, here's why, okay? In, in many cultures, greeting someone with a kiss, most of the time it's a kiss on the cheeks. That is a sign of acceptance and friendship among equals. If you greet somebody above you, you kiss their hand. If they're way above you, you may even bow down and kiss their feet. If you have somebody greeting you below you, you stick out your hand and they'll kiss your hand. But if you greet equals, you embrace and you kiss on the cheek. A kiss on the cheek is a sign that we are equals. So imagine Paul writing to this group of these people that we've all seen on this, this list. You have, he says to slaves and masters, greet each other with a holy kiss. 
kiss on the cheek. Men, women, you're equals. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Rich, poor, you are equals in Christ. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Jews, Gentiles, equal. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Whatever the world says about your status, of how high or low you are on the status of the world, in Christ, in here, in this family, we're all the same. We are equals in Christ, we are all on the same team. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. So, what's the takeaway today? I want to go back to where we started. That ministry is a team sport. Every one of you has a part to play. Everybody in this room, in Christ, has been given a gift for the sake of the body by the power of the Spirit. To do great things for the kingdom of God, even if no one ever knows your name. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these people and the ministry that they did that helped get the gospel to us. I pray that you would raise up from among us a passion for kingdom work that long outlives us and others will be grateful for what we've done, even if they never know our name. In Jesus we pray, amen. Amen, and thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.